What do you do when you feel like the church won't accept you? Now, there are many of us who have always felt like the church has accepted us, but I'm hearing more and more stories of people who feel like they are not welcome through the doors of the church that maybe they once called home. And there are many reasons for this, and we're not tapping into all those reasons today. We're actually hearing one specific story from my friend Michaela. I've known Michaela for several years now, and we've had a lot of great conversations. And I was really encouraged when she reached out to share her story, partly because she didn't initially want to share her story, but she felt God's prompting. And that always encourages me because it tells me that there's something that God wants to say. And so there's a disclaimer here. There are some things that are shared in this story that for some of you may be trigger words, maybe words that when you hear them, it evokes something in you that makes you not want to keep listening. I want to encourage you to keep listening because it's not about the words, but it's about honoring Michaela and her story. Her story matters, and there may be something important in her story for you. God may have something for you, even if the journey there is uncomfortable. So stick with it. Push past the impulse to stop after you hear something you don't like, because it's not about our comfort, and it's not about what we think we know. It's about how can we learn more and more who God is, who he's created us to be, and how he's called us to be a body together. You're listening to episode 59 of the Where Did You See God podcast. God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And we just thank you for the gift of conversation. We thank you for the privilege it is to be able to process who you are and and what you're up to. And we thank you for your mercy that we can ask questions. (laughs) We can have concerns and doubts and confusion um, that you love us so much that you allow us to sit in those kind of spaces. Um, And so we just pray for this time. I thank you for Michaela and the journey you've been taking her on. I thank you for our friendship. I thank you for the conversations we've had. And yeah, we just lift up this conversation to you now. We welcome the spirit to speak. And we pray that at the end of this, um, we will just be able to know you a little more deeply um, and that you will be deeply honored. Let's pray in his holy name. Amen. Amen. One thing I really appreciate about you is the many uh, deep conversations we've been able to have, especially lately. Um, and uh, just the way that we've been able to process <laughs> some hard topics together. But I also appreciate uh, the way that God's used you to be an encouragement in my life. So the fact that you were willing to come on is, is a gift to me, and I'm excited about it. Also, because I don't know where the conversation is going to go. So I feel like we just we just jump in. And so so my first question is this. You've known about the podcast for a while. Yes. Been listening to it. We've had many conversations. So the opportunity to be on the podcast has always been there. Um, yep. But recently, there is something within you that led you to go from considering it to saying, all right, let's, let's set a date. So let's start there. You know, what's been going on within you recently that put you in a position that you were like, all right, all right, we're going we're gonna to get the mics out. That is a very good question. So much has happened over the past few years um, that I've been processing myself with different people. And I've come to a point where I've been able to look at what has happened and really take, like look at my story and see how, how God has moved within it. And there's always been, like when I've shared, there's always been this sense of, oh, like it's really like touch the other person or like they've always like learned from it, especially like with the gravitas of the things I've been reflecting on and processing in regards to race and injustice in the church and in in regards to just the story of Christianity in America that we've seen play out throughout history and up to the present with the political implications of that and the theological implications of that and just like how that impacts like how we uh, live in the world. I've done a lot of looking back over my own story and there's always been this like little thing inside me that has said like, oh, this is meant to be shared, but I've never been 
ready to do that. I tend to keep, I guess I'm more comfortable keeping everything close just because like I have so many questions and I don't have any answers. Mm. And so like, it's always just been me processing, but in that when I've shared it with other people, it's always been like, God has done something in that. And so I think that, oh, and I think that I've, I've recently listened to your two other podcast episodes, and especially the one with Sarah Labrini, where uh, she shares her story. And at the end, there's this really, you, you say this like very powerful, like few minutes of like sharing your story and like that this is what God is calling you to do. And I felt like you were speaking directly to me. Um, and so that is something that like I took and I was like, okay, God, I hear that. But I didn't know what to do with that. And so I think that you, you know this. I've always, I've shared with you before that I feel like I've been called to write specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also I just had to get over the idea that like, oh, that's not the only way. Like your story is meant, my story is meant to be shared no, no matter what venue. Um, and so I think that when, when I saw that you posted, oh, this was your final call for like the Question God series, I was like, I should probably actually seriously pray for that um, and pray around that because there's always like over the course of your podcast, there's always been this like little like what if in the back of my head uh, <laughs> saying, oh, what if you were to share your story? What if you were to be on it in some way or be involved with it in some way? And so I think that your final call gave me the opportunity to say to go to God and say like, hey, I see that. I want to seriously consider this. And so I couldn't ignore the vast array of ways that God has been speaking to me and saying, like, you need to share your story. And so I just finally said yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the funny thing is, is we could stop right there and already there's something powerful in it. We're not going to stop there, but we could. Because one, I just want to acknowledge and share my appreciation for your willingness to, I mean, essentially you're taking a step of faith and obedience. You're not sharing because you're like, here's my amazing story. You're not sharing because you're like, it's all figured out. You're not sharing for any of those reasons. You're sharing because you felt like God said to share. The other thing that I want to say is, is hit it two things you, you said before we go any further. I mean, ultimately what you're going to share is your story, Right. And not, as you mentioned, you're not sharing a bunch of answers. This isn't about you figured it out and now you're telling everyone what they're supposed to think. So one, I think that's important because that's uh, where a lot of people can get tripped up. And two, I think it's worth naming, you know, you, you said two trigger words that could lead some people, could lead people to respond in a number of ways. You said race and politics. And for some people, when they hear that, they automatically decide what it is that they want to hear or they automatically decide what it is that they don't want to hear. There may be people that when they hear the word race or politics, they're done with the episode. And so I wanna encourage anybody listening uh, to not do that because again, you're, you're about to share your story. You're not sharing a diatribe on race. You're not sharing a diatribe on politics. You're sharing your story and your story is valuable because it's your story. And so I would encourage anybody listening to not listen for what you want or don't want, but to listen to the story. And so all that being said, I mean, tell me a story, Michaela. (laughs) All right. So I've been in church since practically the day I was born. My grandfather was a pastor. And so he pastored this little church. And so that is where I started out. I started out going to church. By the time when I was like seven or eight, it was just me and my family attending this church. And so my grandfather made the decision to sell the church and end that. And so we ended up having to look for a new church. And so we ended up finding this Assemblies of God church, which was really cool because our the church we came from, my grandfather's church was Assemblies of God. So it was bigger. It was in different city, uh, different different population, but we ended up really loving it. 
And so I did all, I was a thorough church kid. I did all the things. I did Bible quiz. I did retreats. I did BBS. I did missionettes, if any listeners know about that. So yeah, I mean, I was a thorough church kid and I loved church the entire time. It was a safe place and it was home. But all of that really changed for me over the past few years. Then we get to the summer of 2016. I'm sure people will recall what that summer was like. At that time, we had the run-up to the 2016 election, uh, which is very contentious. And we had, again, it was a summer of police shootings of unarmed Black men. So specifically, that was the summer of Lando Castile and of Alton Sterling, who were both shot while being unarmed. And Orlando Castile specifically, his girlfriend, who was in the passenger seat, recorded it live. Immediately after that, there was a Dallas shooting of the police. And so that summer, I just remember being very, as many summers since have been, very contentious, very strident, and very divided. Um, Like the racial divisions of uh, our society and of our country were again being very apparent with the shootings and the election. As a young Black woman, I am having to process these things and I am having to come to an awareness of social relations and politics at this very tense time. During this, I encountered a very a, a very interesting Facebook post. Like this moment is what I would consider a very clear before and after moment. I had this friend who I had been going to church with for a long time. And so we both grew up in youth group. He was a white man. He was a college student like me. He was a couple of years older. And I had always kind of looked up to him. I looked up to him as a person of faith. I encountered this Facebook post by him looking back, like it's clear to me that he was also trying to process the events at the time and the di- and the division and the turmoil and everything that was happening during that time. But I did I didn't have that retrospect then. And so in it, he basically said, the problem with what we're seeing today with racial racial division is that we are talking too much about race. We're all humans basically, is what he said. So we need to stop labeling each other and also stop talking about it. And if everyone could just stop talking about race, then that would solve the issue. And so this actually took me back quite a bit. Again, I was a young Black woman. I was processing just like him, but I did not agree with him. And it's not just that I didn't agree with him. This changed the way I saw him. Because before then, I had only ever seen him as like, oh, just another Christian. I looked up to him as a person of strong faith. But this post really made me realize not just that people can believe in the same God, believe in the same faith, and have two very different understandings of what is happening socially, what is happening politically, but also that our faith did not erase the chasm that was between us because of our different racial identities and the different perspectives we had because of our different experiences. And so this jarred me and this drove me into a period of just very deep questioning about race, about identity, about justice, about Christianity, about faith, about what the Bible said. So I started searching for anything in the Bible around race or ethnicity or culture uh, that could help me understand like what was going on. And so like I knew what I knew from being a student, from being a college student, I was a sociology major. And so as a sociology major, we learned about race and racism and the difference between prejudice and discrimination and how it's not just individual or Um, based on attitudes to beliefs, but it's institutional and systemic as well. But then that didn't help me understand why did I have such a different awareness of race and racism and what is happening uh, than this person I had gone to church with for so long who happened to be white. This was 
such a anxious period of time for me. And I was so confused and so angry and so resentful of just the inability of this person I looked up to for so long to see how I saw or to understand things in a way that did not diminish the fact that, oh, I happen to identify as Black. I have a racial identity and that is, that's not a bad thing. I was really searching for a way to understand myself in the world that did not require me to erase this part of who I am and a way to understand my faith in a way that did not require me to erase this part of my identity and this anger that I had at the injustices I saw in the world. The summer ends, go back to school, the 2016 election happens, but then something actually really cool happened in the midst of that. And so I had been involved in a student ministry called University since my freshman year. That semester, two staff people for uh, my chapter, they came out with a statement and a series on race and reconciliation and ethnicity that really honed in on the fact that Yes, like race and like we are all created intentionally by God that and that includes our racial and ethnic identities and also that we should as Christians care about reconciliation and justice and seek that for the world and seek that ourselves and those are good pursuits. This was the first time I was hearing those words said aloud that yes, my identity is good. I was created intentionally by God as a Black woman in this place and time. And also that God cares about the racial injustices that occur in the world. And he looks at that and he weeps with us and he grieves with us and he's angry with us and is a part of our work as Christians to pursue justice and to pursue reconciliation and to see that increase in the world because we are members of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is one that includes justice and reconciliation. This was the first time I was hearing such a message said aloud because the norm around race and injustice in my church was not talking about it. It was silence. And that silence and that apathy was what got me so angry. And it's it still angers me because there are so, I feel like there are so many Christians, so many white Christians specifically, who tend to believe that silence and apathy are what is required of us. They privilege their comfort over actively pursuing justice and reconciliation in the world. And so I started rethinking what that church culture of silence and apathy uh, had made me believe about myself and about the world we live in and what God desires for us. As I was processing these things, as I was learning more, I ended up doing a service trip with Chat that spring. And so that was something that was also formational for me because I got to see people working for justice and reconciliation in the world, in their communities because of their faith, I got to actively see that and participate in that at a very critical time where I was just so angry and so disillusioned and so resentful of the faith that I had encountered in the church that had shaped me. That was something I loved being able to participate in that and be a part of that. And that made me realize not just that there are Christians who do that, but I could also do that. That this desire for reconciliation and justice and this desire to see wrongs rectified was good. That God cared about these things and he wants that for us. And he invites us to participate in that ourselves as members of the kingdom of God. At the same time where I was unlearning a lot of the harmful beliefs and the harmful silence 
that I had grown up with in my home church, I was also relearning that this is what being a part of the kingdom of God could look like. Now it is three or four years later, I am still relearning and learning and unlearning a lot of the things. Like, again, like you said at the top, I don't have any answers. There are still unarmed Black men and women being shot and killed by police, and we are still not seeing justice. Yes, there was George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, but even the indictment of Derek Chauvin, I did not experience respite from that because at the same time, like a few hours later, oh, there's another one. There's another unarmed Black man shot by a police. And even in my own state, in Elizabeth City, uh, North Carolina, there was Andrew Brown, who was also shot. And we have not seen justice from that. And so there has just been grief upon grief upon grief and anger upon anger upon anger built up over time. And that is not something that has gone away. At the, at the beginning of all this, I felt completely disillusioned. I, I felt like the veil had been torn from my eyes. I, I wasn't able to see or be a part of the church that I've been a part of for so long in the same way. Uh, it never felt like home to me after that summer in 2016. There's also been this stubborn hope that and this stubborn conviction that this is not the way things are supposed to be, that God's desires for not just us as Christians, not just the kingdom of God, but for how we're supposed to relate to each other in the world, the division, the injustice, the apathy, and the forces that are keeping us apart and keeping us silenced and keeping us in this system of superiority and inferiority and oppression and privilege, like that is not what God desires for us. Those things are not a part of the kingdom of God. So there's a stubborn hope that like, even though my relationship to church has changed and my relationship to the faith that I grew up with has changed, like I still have this, there's still something inside me, this stubborn conviction that this is not the way things are supposed to be. That is God's promise to us that they, things will be restored and justice will be done. Even if we, when we don't see it now, like this is his promise to us. And so I still identify as Christian. I still go to church. I still am deeply, deeply searching and deeply unlearning and relearning with what my faith looks like, especially as a Black woman in the society and what that means, I am still here. And I think at the end of the day, that's all I can say, because the fact that I am still here is a testament to the the grace and goodness of God, that even despite all the anger, all the disillusionment, all the resentment that I have, I am still at this table. I am still committed to working to see the day that all of this is restored and justice is seen. Michaela, I really appreciate you sharing because you know there's there's a lot of humility in what you shared. There's a lot of vulnerability in what you shared. There's there's risk in what you shared because you shared hard things about a church that you loved, you know, for for so much of your life. And you know, there's no telling how somebody can receive or perceive, you know, your words, especially like we talked about at the beginning, sometimes trigger words mark the course, regardless of how those words are actually used and what's actually said. So I appreciate you sharing. And I think what's, there's so much that's powerful about your story, because again, it's, it's your story, it's your experience. But I think specifically, you know, you didn't tell a story of, I was a part of this church and this church all my life mistreated me and my family because we were black. No, like the first part of your story was how great that experience was, how much you loved being a part of that church. And there came a pivotal moment where you internally, as, as a believer, were processing and experiencing something that hit a wall, that you, you felt well, like you were- I can't hear you anymore, oh, you but that hear. may be me. <laughs> so- 
So I just want to pause and say, I, I just, it was cracking me up earlier. You know, I, I'm going to edit out all of these moments where <laughs> technical issues uh, come into play, but we have had a lot of technical issues. The, you can't hear me, I can't hear you, the mic's weird. And it doesn't escape me how often that happens during important conversations. So I'm just gonna plant that on the table. <laughs> yeah. that to me, when there are technical issues, I take that as a cue uh, for me to pay attention, but also to encourage other people to pay attention <laughs> because sometimes that may be an indicator that something important is trying to be blocked. And so prior to you not being able to hear me again, what I was saying is, you know, you, you had this great experience with the church, but then you hit this point where you were internally processing something and it was almost as though you were being told, it felt to you like you're being told, you can't process this here. Or if you process this, it's dishonoring to God. Or by processing this, you are actually causing the very problem that you feel like you are experiencing. And, and I think what really stood out to me when you hit that part of the story is there is an element of truth to this idea that we are all called to be one, that we are, there, we are all humans, that you know this, this notion we are all one race. There is an element of truth to this idea of what does it look like for us to have a common identity? And we see this in scripture that they were neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, and yet you were having this unique experience. And I think this is where the church really struggles to know how to respond, is that we have this notion of what is meant to be, but then we have these moments where something is, is pushing against that. And sometimes the reaction is to say, you can't have those notions. We can't, we gotta pretend like those that exist. And yet you, you are still feeling this. And, and what I thought of was, you know, in Acts, we, we get this notion of identity uh, being shared as well, that they had everything in common. So whether you were rich or poor, whatever country you came from, it didn't matter because at the beginning of Acts, they're speaking all the languages. So you have thousands of people coming from different cultures, different life experiences, different jobs, different physical makeup, all coming together as one. And it's this beautiful picture. We all want it. But then we see something interesting happening, that as the church is growing and thriving, suddenly there's this issue with the widows. There, there are these women that had lost their husbands, and, and that was a big deal in that time because your economic sustainability was attached to having, if you were a female, to having a husband to provide. And if not a husband, then someone else has to take you in because that's just how the economy worked. And you had these widows that were receiving support from the church, but there's this point in Acts where you find out that they're not receiving that equally, that there were certain widows that were being cared for and certain widows that weren't. And fortunately in that time, uh, it's recognized, clearly not immediately for it to have gotten to this point where it has to be mentioned in Acts. So it wasn't an immediate recognition, but at some point it was recognized, wait a minute, there is an unjust treatment between this type of widow and this type of widow. Widows from this place and widows from this place. Widows that look like this, widows that look like this. Whatever it was, it was there was a difference. And there are a group of people that were put in place to specifically address this. Stephen was one of them. And this is what struck me is you can simultaneously have an understanding of who God has called us to be and a shared identity and have injustice have a breakdown of that system. And, and the question then becomes, if that's true, that you can simultaneously have a shared identity and a same goal and a brokenness of it, how do you respond when that happens? And it sounds like in your story, this is, that's kind of been the, one of the core questions <laughs> that you're like, I, I hear what you're saying, that God created us to be unified, but I'm seeing injustice and I don't know what to do about it. And now, because you understand it as a black female and all that that brings with it. Now it's starting to feel like your opinion isn't valued or is seen as an issue or is seen as a threat. And suddenly it's hard to feel like there is a shared identity because that's not what your experience is. 
Um, and so I really appreciate you, you sharing your story because I really hope that there are people that, that might have felt a desire to cut off the, <laughs> the episode that stuck in it when they heard words like superiority and inferiority. And there's so much now attached to even the use of those words. I really hope they stayed in this because really what we're talking about is you are, you are a child of God made in the image of God that is expressing your experience. And too often you have been told you can't do that. And this for me is an important piece for those people that I really hope are still listening is how are they gonna respond now to your story? And it's not about you being right or wrong. It's not about you trying to push any agenda. You have shared your story. So the question is, how do they now respond to your story? How do they engage and process your story? And that's where we get tripped up because usually we're not processing an interaction with someone made in the image of God. We're processing talking points. And what is my response supposed to be to these talking points? But someone listening now, the, the question is, and how do you respond to her feelings on race or this, that, or that? It's how do they interact with Michaela, who is made in the image of God? And what's sad is too often you haven't had people treat you with that level of <laughs> actual understanding of what it means to be the body. You've had people instead treat you differently. And it sounds like that's been hard. <laughs> and frustrating. And you even noted earlier, anger can still come out because that, that hits at the core. If people are saying we are the body of Christ, but then you don't feel like they're accepting you as part of that body of Christ, anger is an understandable response to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that what comes up for me, you know, the trope of the angry black woman, like that is something I'm very hyper aware of. And so when we're talking about this anger, I don't want people to pathologize it as if that's something that like, oh, that's a bad emotion. You have to set that to the side. Like you have to like, oh, that's a sinful emotion. You have to, you have to repent of it. But no, like, again, we've had conversations around this before as well, where like we we're created as humans with emotions, like every emotion belongs. And so I've had to rethink for myself, like, how do I even relate to my anger or to when I try to push it down, it often like turns into resentment. And so how do I deal with my anger and resentment, knowing that I am a Black woman who, if I express these things, people are going to write me off as, oh, she's just an angry Black woman. Like, her anger is inappropriate. Faithful Christians aren't angry. They don't allow their anger to get in the way of whatever God would say or have them do. And so that's something that I would like to address is that my anger has a place. Just as all of our anger has a place because it is a part of how we are created as human beings. And yes, there is in your anger, do not sin. And yes, like it, when we are angry, that can come out sideways. And we could say things in our anger that we don't mean that is harmful. I have both experienced that and done that. But especially in response to justice, injustice or harm or to hurt. I've often had to realize like it is okay for me to be angry at the bottom of that anger is a deep, deep grief that like, this is not the way it's supposed to be as um, Christians, as a body of Christ. And this is not what God deeply desires for us. A, a part of what I've had to realize is I get angry because people aren't getting angry with me. They are falling into apathy in, in what world is apathy to injustice, a right response. I have had to battle that myself, not closing myself off to my anger and my grief and falling into apathy when every week it's, an, it's another story, it's another shooting, it's another person who looks like me being killed for the sake of, just for the sake of who they are and not being able to live fully. I have to trust that God can handle my anger 
and God can handle my grief and whatever else I throw with him and whatever response I have, like he is, he is not shaming me for it. He's actually holding me in it. He is weeping with me. He is angry also at the loss of an image bearer uh, with me. It reminds me of the story of Cain and Abel, where Cain kills his brother and God tells him, like, I heard the blood of your brother crying out from the ground. And so I, whenever another Black person unarmed is killed by the police, I think of that image where their blood is literally crying out from the ground and God hears it. And my only desire is for others to hear it too. So yeah, I do not dismiss anger or I do not dismiss my deep feelings because they point me to the fact that one, that God created me with these deep feelings and also that I am being held by a God who sees them and who knows me deeply and who's able to feel with me and to be angry at injustice and division and um, inequity with me. Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. And it's an important thing to name. I mean, I, I think we, we need to get better at acknowledging that we don't understand or process the topic of emotion well. So one, there are these, these tropes. And so there is the angry Black woman trope. There is even things like how a, a woman and a man in leadership can do the exact same thing, but a woman may be seen as bossy while the man may be seen as a good leader, right? Like we had these tropes where we will perceive an emotion one way in this context and another way in another. And there's some questions we need to ask about that. Why is that? What are some of the things that I'm assuming? What are some of the things that I may have against certain individuals? You tapped into something really important. It's not just this broad sweep of anger that you're feeling. What you're feeling in that moment, that, that feeling, not even your anger, the, what you are processing is nuanced, and it's deep. There is a mourning that's included in it. There is a longing for what God desires in it. There's all of this tied into it. And it may be expressed physically, audibly in a certain way, but there is a depth to what's happening. And if somebody just dismisses it as anger and says, well, we shouldn't be angry, <laughs> then they're missing something really important, but they're also missing you in that. But let's say hypothetically, Let's say that anger was bad always, all the time, that anger was a sin. The other question that we're not asking is, how does Jesus respond to sin? And what we see is what you tapped into a moment ago is you, you talk about how you feel like Jesus is sitting with you in that. Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus walked with disciples who kept on sinning, like Peter betrayed Jesus by, by denying him. Jesus knew what it meant to not try to immediately fix and correct people, but to see people, to walk with them, to hear them, to know them, to understand them. And so even if anger was always 100% wrong, if I'm a Christian, I need to address what my response should be though. Still, if someone is responding out of anger, how do I function more like Jesus? And we don't see that happening. What we see instead is something that's not very Christ-like, which is dismissiveness, accusation. And so I appreciate you. I think that's really important because, I mean, if we pull back all the way, 30,000 feet, what we're really talking about is you are trying to navigate your life in a way to love God and love others. And you are wrestling with these deep things and you would really like for the body of believers to not disconnect from you. You would really like to be seen and heard and understood by the body of believers. And there's too many ways in which the body of believers are failing to do that. And in essence, can be cutting off the arm, <laughs> cutting off the foot. You know, we, if we are going to be the body, then we need to be able to see you, hear you, like be connected to you. And we're struggling with that. So I, I feel like one of the things that we are seeing is it is really easy for people that have different experiences, different political leanings, different cultures, 
to create camps for themselves and then to fall into this notion of what it looks like to really protect, not even in a bad way, but protect what that camp represents and how that camp sees and understands life. And then when there are threats, real or perceived, to kind of fall into pushing against that. And what we find here and what we find in your story is, you know, there was a church that for a long time, everything seemed to be peaceable, everyone seemed to get along. Then something started happening in the world, and it had been happening for a while, but it started to kind of escalate to the point where it couldn't be kept out of the walls of the church anymore. It started to come in through conversation, through interaction, and it began to cause some pushback within different camps, different mindsets. While it may be hard to know the answer to the question of how do we engage those spaces in a loving way when we have different opinions, what we can do is name ways that it that doesn't work well. So one way it didn't work well for you is to be told you can't talk about race. Because while understanding that you are a child of God and we are one people, also are still a Black female. And whether or not there is this understanding of collectiveness ahead, you experience things about that part of your identity here and now. And, and I think what people get afraid of is they can get caught up on what they assume is supposed to happen and why they don't want that to work. So currently, for example, critical race theory is, is a big buzzword. And I know a lot of people who, by creating a barrier against that, also effectively create a barrier against talking about race. Now, you talked about one of the moments that was valuable and important for you in your journey from feeling like you couldn't process things in your church to being able to start learning what that looks like was going to a, a spring break trip. And I happened to know the guy who ran <laughs> spring break week because it was me. But here's what I can tell you. I am a white male that was running that space. The reality is I knew that I was going to have, I don't even know how many people were there your week, but dozens of young adults coming in that are coming from different cultures, different experiences, different political mindsets. And I had the responsibility of creating a space to process these things. Now, that year specifically, probably one of the harder years, because as you mentioned, it followed a very tense election. And so this conversation of race was not only elevated, but more polarized. I had one group, and I don't know if they, if they were there the week you came, but I knew there was one group coming that would have vastly different mindsets than some of the other groups that were coming. I knew other groups that were very much into talking about race and confronting injustice. And this specific group was coming from a more conservative environment where they felt like talking about race was not a healthy thing. And somehow these groups were going to be in the same space. And we always had on Wednesday was a conversation about race. The way that I navigated that was I entered that knowing that there were going to be different mindsets, knowing that this was an important topic, at least to some people in the group to discuss, and knowing that we had to find a way to do so where we were still a group engaging it together. So instead of it being, all right, here are all the things that I'm going to force you to believe, here are all the things that I'm going to force you to confront, it was a conversation, it was a dialogue where we created a safe space for people to be able to share openly. And then I was poised to facilitate anytime I needed to help pull the conversation out from any danger spot. Did we solve racism during that conversation? No, but based on what you shared, those kind of spaces can be healthy ways to move forward together. I don't know if that evokes any thoughts in you around when you think of what those kind of spaces can look like moving forward. Can I be honest and just like not talk as if I'm on the podcast? I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like I've never, well, I'll say this. I've never experienced a, a space or a conversation in which it's me and then someone's on the opposite side of that. And then we're actually having a healthy conversation that I, I don't, I, I mean, I don't know who else is doing that in the world. Because yeah. I feel like I've been on my own little lonely planet, just me trying to figure things out. 
And then along the way, there have been like key people around me like you and like my university staff member who she discipled me that year and throughout college. And she is a white woman. And then the student she ended up discipling me with, she was also a white woman. So I feel like God has placed very key people around me that have implicitly shown me what you were shaped to believe and how you're formed is not the way things actually should be, or that's not what. God desires for us. But I feel like I'm very, like, again, this goes back to like, I don't have answers. Like I, that is what I'm currently looking for is like people who are engaging across different perspectives in healthy ways that isn't just like the normal, like us versus them. We're over here. Y'all are over here. Y'all are the problem. That that's kind of what I'm looking for. And especially as a Christian, like I want to be able to engage with other Christians because I know the body of Christ, we are in a whole scope of views and perspectives and whatnot. But I feel like I haven't found anyone or any group uh, that is doing that effectively, especially as I'm getting back into church because I stopped going to church since the pandemic, like in person. And so my sister and I, actually returned to church last week on Pentecost Sunday. This wasn't my home church, but this was a different church. It was in our city. Um, And so we returned to church and it was nice, but it was also very uncomfortable because it was just, it felt like the same old, same old. I was just discussing this with my sister. It, It feels like just in what I'm seeing, like no one's doing things or saying things any differently than the way that we have before. Especially when it comes to we're on this side, they're on that side, we don't engage. That's what my current struggle is finding, whether it's a church or a some kind of faith group that is actually engaging in this stuff in a nuanced way across difference and perspectives and still loving God and loving each other and seeking that, but also like being able to engage in all this complex, complicated stuff. I guess to, to speak honestly, I don't know how to re-engage in church now because it feels like what I've grown up with is in like the, the way we talk about faith and the way we talk about God and the way we do church, the language we use and like what we talk about versus what we don't. I feel like that has become insufficient to me because I want to go deeper. I feel like everyone's operating by the status quo and no one's really doing a new thing. No one's really doing what like I most desire to see in the church. And not just what I desire, what I feel like what God desires for us, I guess just reminds me of the parable of the, of the two ways, the narrow way and the broad way. Everyone else seems to be going like the broad way, the status quo, the um, the two sides that we have to see each other as enemies, but no one's really doing the narrow way, which is like figuring out how to engage with each other across this is what I feel like. I know there are people out doing this um, in the world, uh, like the story you shared is exemplifies that, but it feels like I don't have access, like I don't have access to any of, any of those spaces or like I don't, I just don't have that knowledge of like who is out there doing these things and actually like engaging in the nuance and engaging with different perspectives not in a combative way but in a way where at the end of the day we still respect each other's image bearers and are still pursuing loving god and loving others yeah you know it's funny you you start off saying something that was a kind of passing comment but actually was really important you said let me talk like i'm not on a podcast I don't know. And I felt like that was really important because then you really got into it. Like, isn't that how we all function? We are all kind of engaging things, not authentically, but as though we are trying to achieve this certain goal or present ourselves a certain way or, and what you did there was practice authenticity is, I don't know. But the other thing you said that was so important, you said, I don't know how to engage with the church on this or to engage with the church period like and and what you didn't say and this is why I was more you didn't say I'm not going to engage with the church or there is no way to engage with the church 
And the truth is there, there are many people that are, are in that place. I know many people who have decided you cannot connect with the church on this topic of race. You can't. Or whether or not you can or not, I don't want to. Like, and I'm not passing any kind of judgment on that. I'm just stating like, that's the reality is there are different ways that people can respond to this. And your response was not no. It was just, I don't know, but I'm, I still hope, <laughs> like I want there to be a way. And when you mentioned the, the parable about the roads, it made me think about something that I've never thought about before with that. Why is it that the big road is so wide and so passable? Well, it's because it is leading straight to a destination where people want to get to and people often go towards. Why is the other road so small and so hidden? It's heading to a destination that people aren't even thinking about going to or they don't want to go to. And so what does that mean for this conversation? Well, you showed a lot of graciousness when you were talking about your friend and his response, because what you acknowledge is he was working off of what he understood and how he processed things. And in his mind, this was the solution. And as you were saying that, it made me realize for a lot of people, oftentimes the destination that they're going towards is they want peace. Oh my God. <laughs> She, I thought I heard a little something and I did not realize that she was stuck in. Hello. Hi. You know, sneaky. All right. Can I finish this? And then, then we can play in a little bit. So what we see often is that in these moments, what people may be pursuing, the destination they're going towards is peace. And they will look at what are the things that are disrupting the peace and how do we respond to that? And so for a lot of people talking about race, tends to be the thing that they see brings about a disruption of peace. And so that makes sense then to say, well, if you don't talk about race, then you won't disrupt the peace. The problem is, is that peace isn't the destination that God's calling us to. He is calling us to the destination of love God, love others. And the reality is, as much as your friend's approach may have created a faux peace, may have worked for a lot of the congregation, you left feeling unloved. You left that interaction feeling like you were not seen, cared for, understood. And so it, it got to a destination, but not the destination God was calling you to as believers, the church to, which was love God, love others. And I think this is our problem is there are many destinations we can go to many destinations that aren't bad destinations, but they aren't the destination that God's calling us to. God is not calling us necessarily to a faux peace. He's not calling us to fix all these things. He is calling us to seek him first, and he is calling us to function as a body. Largely as the American church, we are not doing that. We are continuing on this wider road that's going towards the destinations that we think are the right or best destinations or the destinations that we want. Meanwhile, Jesus is going down this other destination that looks like foolishness and only a few people are going with them because to do that means you need to embrace foolishness. Who knows where that path's going? That path isn't clear. Is there poison ivy? Are there snakes? Is there a big ravine I could fall into? I have to be a fool to go into such an unknown space as that. But what I know is Jesus is going there. And so I'm going to follow him I don't know where it's going to lead other than to him. And so I think that's bringing up that passage is so important. A lot of really good churches, really good people are doing what they think is right, but they're going on the wide road towards the destination that is not where God said to go. So we as the church need to learn how to say less, what road should I go on? And what road is Jesus on? Like that needs to be the question is what road is Jesus heading? Where is Jesus going? Because again, the, the narrow road, you might not even see a road there. It's like, Jesus, where are you, why are you going off into the woods? There's a, Jesus is like, no, 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 there's a trail here. No, there's not. I'm looking. There's no way forward here. Jesus is like, no, 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 trust me, right? So how do we stop going towards our own destinations, forecasting where we're supposed to be? How do we stop doing that as the church and start saying, where is Jesus how can we walk towards Jesus? If we can do that, then we can actually begin to live out this whole notion of us being one race. 
because our defining element then is that we are all walking with Jesus. And then we can do that, have that core identity of being Christ followers, and also have these other things that define our reality and our existence, like black, white, male, female, rich, poor, all these things, like those can still exist and shape who we are and how we function, because we still have that core thing of we are following Christ, but we've got it skewed. Following Christ for us is more about what we're being told that we have to do and say and what we assume rather than the person of Christ who defied all kinds of expectations and assumptions when he was walking on earth. Why wouldn't he still do that today? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny that you describe the two paths as they are because I frequently go walking and like I'm always going down like the less frequently traveled path, you know, like the skinny ones in the woods that like, oh, like that's barely enough room to walk. Like I'm always like going down those even beyond like this conversation that, that that's always just been something so intriguing to me, like the, the narrow path, like what's on the other side, because I just don't want to go down where everyone else is going down. Like that, that is the expected route, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely one to see like, oh, like at the end of like this narrow trail, like, oh, there could be something beautiful, like a beautiful river overlook. Like, wow, I just, I do that naturally. Yeah. And this creates a challenge then, because I think I'm similar. Like, I don't want to be like everyone else. Like, I don't want to be trendy. I don't like, the challenge becomes recognizing that while you and I may be like that, not everyone is like that. So what does it look like to exercise grace (laughs) with those who have a hesitation, a fear of that unknown trail? What does it look like to shepherd someone to a trail that they might not want to go down? And we're not going to answer those questions now because that's a whole other podcast. But really the invitation in all of this is we are prone to want to believe that we have a lock on understanding and a lock on truth. But the reason that we keep on hitting these walls is so much of this is actually bigger than our comprehension. We have been given a secret weapon in Christ in that instead of having to figure everything out like normally we would in the world, we just have to seek Christ, because Christ already has it all figured out. That's hard because oftentimes in doing that, we don't get a lot of answers and we have to move forward without the answers. But we have this opportunity that if we as the church actually sought Christ, instead of trying to claim we know everything or force people to know what we know, we may actually land somewhere. Like you said, we may actually discover that waterfall that we didn't even know existed. Something that was not even on our radar, we may stumble upon it because we are following Christ and look over at this person who's different than me or this person who I was just arguing with last month and be like, oh my gosh, this is, this is mind-blowingly beautiful and share this moment that then changes how we move forward because we've shared something. And here's the truth. You and I could keep on talking. We know this is true because we've done it before. On our phone calls. And usually I keep track of time, but we've had so many technical issues. I have no idea how much actual content we have. Let's let's wrap it up. And mm-hmm. is there anything else on your heart or mind that you're like, ah, before we go, I, I just, I really wanted to be able to say this. The one thing that I want to say is that I still love the church. Hmm. Even when the specific space of that, of the church is something that like I experience discomfort in or I experience alienation in or conflict in it is still something that like I love and and when I say the church I mean the body of Christ itself Mm -hmm. and not just this specific church or this specific building and like the pandemic has taught us all of that The, the church is far bigger than we think it is and it includes so much more than we perhaps are willing to acknowledge being the body of Christ in a different way than the status quo and also including people we would never have thought would be a part of the body of Christ that is that can change things in a way and can open us to what Jesus is doing where where Jesus is going where we see him leading even beyond business as usual. 
uh, that is something that has been a part of my journey as well is figuring out apart from the structures and the systems of faith and doing church that I grew up with, where is God leading me? And sometimes that looks out of those church spaces and out of what I would consider comfortable or what I would consider like, how can Jesus be leading me here? It, it is in that space where like, where I begin to follow not just what everyone else is saying Jesus wants and Jesus is doing, but where I actually see and hear Jesus by understanding what I see in the world and also my own story and the desires and the emotions and responses that God has given me. It is in understanding those things better where I can actually come to realize that Jesus has been leading me through those things all along. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the one, you're healed, you're clean, go out, tell the people what you've seen, revived in him, new life in him. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Those are Jesus' words in Matthew seven thirteen through 14. What's interesting is, after Michaela shared that analogy, it has come up maybe a dozen times in the days following it. And even funnier is today when I sat down to record this, that verse is the verse of the day on my phone. In fact, I'm sharing this after an exceptionally hard week. And I felt the reverberations of so many of the things that Michaela and I talked about regarding that narrow path, that overgrown, rocky, difficult, and unknown path. And what does it mean to follow Jesus into hardship? How do we trust that he is actually going to lead us somewhere we will want to go that will be worth it? Now, Michaela's story is incredibly important, and she is not alone in feeling what she's feeling. And I want to make sure that we hear some really key things. One of the the big longings of her heart was simply to be known by her spiritual family, to have a place where she could be authentically herself share what she was processing in her mind and heart, and know that she wouldn't be rejected or abandoned. And she is not alone in having experienced rejection and abandonment. So I just want to say this to the church, if you consider yourself part of that body. We have many believers who feel like they are being severed from the body. We have many believers who may be a hand that feel like they are being told that they need to be an eye. Scripture is explicitly clear about how the body is supposed to understand its relationship with the other parts, how it's supposed to interact, and what it's not supposed to do. Yet too often we are prone to severing and to dismissing. We are causing tremendous damage, not just to the individual, but to the whole body. Our call is to love God and love others. Our call is to be unified as a body. The rest of that, discerning truth, can only actually come from that starting point of loving God and loving others. Anything else is just going to be logic-based. If we actually want wisdom, that only comes from the Spirit. Right now, you may have someone in your network, a friend, a family member, a church member, who feels like Michaela does, that they are working through things within themselves and they feel like they cannot be honest or open or even themselves in your presence or in your church. You have an opportunity right now to initiate an act of love, to do something to help that fellow image bearer, that brother or sister in Christ, to feel seen, heard, valued, and loved. So here's a challenge. If somebody comes to mind, great, write down that name. If they don't come to mind, then take it to God and say, hey God, is there someone that I need to be aware of right now? Can you put a name in my head? Once you have that name, pray some more and then take a step forward. 
not with a goal of fixing or solving anything, and definitely not from a position of being better, but following the example of Christ that we see laid out in Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Take this step of love, and when you do, be ready to ask yourself, where did you see God? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group, and you will love listening to the rest of the music, so check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?